So without wasting time, please, the honor is mine to invite you to share the word this morning. Amen. Thank you. I was so relaxed, I'd forgotten I was preaching. <laughs> Shall we share a word of prayer? Father, your word says that unto you shall the gathering of the people be. Let this meeting not be in vain, but let your purpose for this meeting and what you have ordained to do in this set time come to pass. I pray for your unction and for your grace to speak your word and to speak your heart. Let this not be a time spent in vain, but let this be a time when we will be changed and our lives will be affected. Thank you for utterance in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please take your seat. Thank you so much, Pastor Clara. And thank you, Dr. James, for being in our midst and allowing us on your calendar every year to have some time as women. Amen. I also want to thank God for the opportunity to be here. And... Um, there's a lot to say when you have to talk to women in ministry or women desiring ministry. My husband always says that in leadership meetings, um, maybe ordinary people should be allowed to come because God always picks leaders out of ordinary people and makes them into what he wants them to become. Amen. So I believe that it's a good thing if even as a woman, hey, Rachel, you desire ministry or you desire to serve God. It's a good thing because we all have different desires. Many of us, maybe growing up, you just desire to fall in love with the man of your dreams and go with him on horseback and disappear and live happily ever after, forgetting that there are bills to be paid and things to be done on, in real life and on earth. Amen. So a desire is a good thing. A desire to work for God, a desire to serve God, a desire to count in God's house and in his kingdom. It's a good thing. And many times people say, uh, Lady Reverend, I don't know whether I'm called or not. How will I know whether I'm called by God? One of the ways, the sure ways in, is in 1 Timothy 3 verse 1. And uh, it says, um, if a man desire, and for that matter, a woman, desire the office of a bishop. She desires a good thing. But it is not the office of a bishop. You know, some of us feel that um, ministry is titles or ministry is importance. Like, when you feel important, then it's ministry. Or when I can be seen, then it's ministry. But Actually, the title bishop means an overseer of other pastors. So it's just an overseer. And even in the secular world, the word, the word bishop means somebody who looks after at least 12 churches. You know, but we think that, oh, bishop means you are very important. But you are important for your work's sake. Amen. So one of the things that one of the signs that God uses to call us is when we have a desire to do his work, a desire to serve him, a desire to do something for God's kingdom. Every time God's work is spoken about, you say, oh God, use me. God, I want to do more. And sometimes you don't even know where you are going to start from. 
But that desire is a good desire. And it's a sign of God's call. Amen? So as if a man desires the office of a bishop, he desires a good thing. It means that sometimes you can desire things, but they are not good things. You know? And God calls all of us in different ways. Sometimes God calls you in a spectacular way. In the book of Acts, Paul is going to Damascus to bring men and women of the way, the Bible says, to Jerusalem to be persecuted. And on the way, he meets Jesus. And Jesus introduces himself to him, and that begins Paul's call. But not all of us saw a big light on the way to Damascus. And not all of us heard the voice of Jesus on the way to Damascus. But you are as called as Apostle Paul is also called. Amen. And so God calls us sometimes in spectacular ways. And so sometimes we look at it and we say, Oh, did you ever mean I didn't hear thunder? I didn't see lightning? It can't be God. But God can even be in the still small voice. Like when he was talking to Elijah. So desire is a way that God can call you. And then God can call you but by a direct word. Like the word of the Lord came unto Isaiah and said, I have called you. Came to Jeremiah. Said, before you were a clot of blood in your mother's womb, I knew you. And I called you. And I ordained you. So before your mother will even meet your father, God has called you. And before you were even a clot of blood in your mother's womb, God has called you. And as a child, he already has a purpose that he will ordain you. That you will go to the nations. That you will pull things down. You will build things. And you will say, oh, but... What can be in a child? But for God, the calling starts very early. But maybe we come to understand it later in our lives. So I just want to know, how many of us here are pastor's wives? Show off my hand. Up your shoulder so that I can see. How many of us are lady pastors? Okay. How many of us don't have maybe a pulpit ministry, but are very involved in ministry? How many of us have a, just a desire, but are not doing anything yet? Amen. So then I just want to talk to you about... I'm going to pick from here and there, Okay. So first of all, I want to say that many are called, not few. Because many times in a church, we feel that there should be fewer people who are called. But the Bible says that many are called, but few are chosen. So many are called to the interview. But when we go through the interview, few become chosen. Because many will fall along the pathway. Especially for women, when the issues of life come. Many will fall away. Amen? But it is a great thing to serve the Lord. I think that, why should God choose me? There are many vessels. And also, if I am choosing, if I am God and I'm choosing, honestly, I will not choose clay. Because clay is not even listed on the stock exchange. Gold is listed, diamond is listed, platinum is listed, but F is not listed. But God chooses vessels of clay. And that is his mercy. 
And that is his grace. Amen. The Bible says we have this treasure in earthen vessels. Why would you invest in earthen vessels? People invest in diamond, gold, even crude oil or something. But earthen vessels, first of all, they are dirty. Secondly, they are very fragile. They don't have tenacity. They don't last. They are not anything of lasting. But if you want something that will last, you choose gold. But he takes earthen vessels and he puts his treasure in earthen vessels. That is how God works. So it's not how you see yourself. It's how God sees you. And sometimes you may be even a woman in ministry, but you say, oh, Lady Reverend, I, 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 I come across many pastors' wives, and they say, my husband doesn't see any good in me. And my husband doesn't think God can use me for anything. But I thank you, God, there is no husbands who call us. But it's God who calls us. Yes, our husbands are our heads, and we are subject to them. But the call of God on your life was there before you met your husband. Because when you were a child, before you, you were a clot of blood, God called you. And he had a purpose for you. And then, as you are going on in the seasons of life, like I was preaching yesterday, he brings people into your life, including your husband. But marriage should not abort your call. I just came from Congo, Kinshasa, and I was so surprised. What the pastors were telling me, the lady pastors also, because they had a separate lady pastors conference. And their main problem, I said, so what are the challenges in Congo? The main, it's not, they don't even see it as a problem. It's more of a tradition. The women are in their husband's churches, and so are the associate pastors. But even though they are in the church, their ministries are outside the church and has nothing to do with the church. Example. You meet a lady pastor. She may be the president of the women's ministry. But the women's ministry has nothing to do with her husband's church. So her husband is doing his thing. She comes to church on Sunday as a Christian. She has nothing to do with what he's doing. And whatever she's doing is under a different umbrella. And it's not just the wives. I met a lot of men also like that. So the man is in the church, but he says he has a deliverance ministry and it's not under the mainstream church. So the deliverance ministry is outside the church. I met a lady. She said she had been there for 20 years. And I said, oh, so she was English speaking. She had become friends. She said, so what do you do in Congo? She said, oh, my husband has a church. And I said, so what role do you play in the church? The church. She didn't answer. Then we went around. She came again. And I said, so what role do you play in the church? She said, oh. I mean, he has his church, and then I have my foundation. And I said, what does it mean? She said, oh. Well, he's running his ministry, and I'm running mine. And I said, so what does the foundation do? She said, oh, like, it's like, you know, in life, you are working, and then when you fall in the portal, I, I bring you out. I said, I don't quite understand your ministry. But when I spoke to the pastor's wife, the main coordinator, she was telling me, Lady Reverend, we need you here because people don't see that it is possible to be under your husband's ministry and still do well. And there's no tension between the spouses. There's no fight that 
Why are you doing your ministry outside? There's no, there's no issue. So you are on your own, I'm on my own, and then we meet at home happily. So I was telling my husband, maybe that's also another model. He was not happy. <laughs> so then, when we had the pastor's conference, then I shared extensively on, I have a message called The Road to Ministry, and it's largely to do with Sarah, like the few things I said yesterday. So I said, ladies, how many of you here can be taken? And they were very surprised. Taken by who? I said, how many of you can be taken by your Abraham on a journey that God has not spoken to you personally about? They are not rebellious. I don't know how to explain it. They are not rebellious. They are just doing what they know to do. They are just doing what they know to do. And nobody has taught them that there's another way. You know, so after that, one lady got up, an elderly lady, and she was weeping so much. And she said, Lady Reverend, two days ago, I left my matrimonial home. I'm a pastor's wife. Because in my church, I feel that I have a lot of giftings. But my husband does not regard me. He's always given the work to other ladies to do. And there's also even a, a lot of issues, so... Two days ago, I left my home. Then yesterday, somebody told me about the conference they were holding, that you were speaking. It was their conference, so. And invited me. I didn't even have money, but I think she said she went back. Her husband had given her pocket money, and she used some of that. No, she used some of that on the Saturday. No, so then she came for the meeting. I didn't see her. Then, after the meeting, God touched her and changed her heart. So she decided to go back to her marriage. So she was crying and she said that, I want you to know that if it's only for me that you came to Congo, it is something. Then she said, I I'm not educated. A lot of the ladies were, are not educated in Congo and the men. The soldiers are not educated. The policemen are not educated because their leaders use that as a way to suppress them. So you don't go to school. You can't read and you can't write. So she was saying that, I think... I have a gifting and a calling, but he doesn't make me do anything because I am not educated. Then I said, what do you do? She said, I'm a businesswoman. I said, are you good at what you do? Very good. I said, so what stops you from getting education? What stops you from learning to read and write? Ah, the lights came on. She has not thought about it. So I said that the giftings are not because of educational qualifications, but... It is a vehicle that God will use. How to read your Bible, how to this, how to that. So rise up. Don't wait for husband to come and say, go to school. For husband to come and say, oh, read and write. You yourself, you say you are good at business. So let that business empower you for ministry to serve God. But when she was talking and then other pastor's wives were laughing and she said, you Congolese... Uh, Pastor's wives, you are laughing, but we all have the same problems. Just that I have decided to speak. But you are not speaking. And a lot of pastor's wives don't speak. Not because they want to hide anything, but because they have no one to talk to. Pastor's wives are one of the most lonely people you will ever come across on this planet. Many years ago, I started writing a book, which I have put on the shelf, entitled... The dilemmas of a pastor's wife. Pray for me that it will come out. Amen. And the dilemma is that Sata, she doesn't know what to do. She wants to serve God, but she's not being given opportunity. 
Sometimes she's being given opportunity and she's operating outside authority. Sometimes she's being given opportunity and she's being accused for things she has not done. It is not easy for a woman to be in ministry or to serve God. But why is it not easy? Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. Genesis. Are you there? God was punishing the serpent, not the woman. But in punishing Satan, he came and said, And I will put enmity between thee and the woman. It always sounds as if it's a woman's punishment, but it's actually the devil's punishment. So the devil's punishment is that the woman will be your enemy. Because God knew that the charminess between the serpent and the woman, if it's to continue, it will not be good. Because just one close encounter, look at where we are. Just one. Look at the wars, the betrayal, terminal diseases, confusion in the world. Just a fruit that a woman gave to a man. Women are very powerful people. They don't need guns. They don't need AK-47. They don't need uh, uh, armored cars. They just need who, to be who they are. Women are just people of influence that God has made. So Adam traded all his birthrights. I mean, I'm always surprised at the account. The Bible says Eve gave him and he did eat. How can you not ask questions? How can you not say, Eve, is this what God said, no discussion. You just ate it. That shows that men just eat what they are given. <laughs> and don't ask questions. And when God came, he said to them, what is this that thou hast done? Because God could see the sickness, the terminal diseases, the broken relationships, the incurable diseases, the, the, the betrayal, offense, lies. He could see all. Oh, so what is this you've done? It's very far-reaching. And it has touched everything about creation. That's how powerful we are. Look at Samson. He carried the gates of Gaza. As I have been born so far, I have not seen any one person who can take on the whole army of, let's say, America, UK. But Samson could take over the whole of Philistia and conquer them. And not only that, after that, he will carry all the gates. But when it came to Delilah, he didn't pass. He couldn't. But Delilah didn't bring any AK-47. She didn't bring any army. She just had a pair of laps. Just two laps. But when he sleeps, he can't think. Oh. So I always and often wonder why women want to be men. Because... I'm glad at what God made me. I don't want to be a man. I'm happy at... So when these, but a lot of the transgender people are transitioning from men to women. I don't know what people are looking for. Because whatever God makes you, you can flourish in what he has made you. So when people say, I want women's lib. Women's lib does not liberate you. It, makes, it rather chains you more. But it's the sun who sets free. And then you are free indeed. Amen. And also, I marvel that a woman can lie to you three times. And on the fourth attempt, she succeeds. Where is your mind? 
When Samson lies in the lap, Delilah says, Samson, they are coming. And then he comes and he breaks the wax from his body. It's not that. And then Delilah says, Samson, they are coming. And it's not that. Three times. The Philistines come and it's not that. And the fourth time, you tell her your secret. Why the first time? Why do you trust a woman? Why? Why do you trust a Delilah? But that's how it is. That's how a woman's influence is. Amen. Moses' mother, she had nothing. She just had a basket. She says, the king says he's killing everybody. I'll just make a basket, put my baby in, put it on the river, and trust God. And it gave to Israel a prophet who led God's people out. What did Mary have? Her virginity. So the women's um, weapons, they don't look powerful. But they are lethal. In the hands of a woman, it changes. It becomes worse than an AK-47. But that influence can be used for good or bad. So we go back to our verse in Genesis 3.50 where God says that, I will put enmity between you and the woman. He's talking to the serpent. And between your seed and her seed. Genesis 3.50 And between your seed and her seed it shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his heel. The woman's seed will bruise Satan's head. That was Jesus. And Satan will bruise the heel. So before a woman is walking, she's always being attacked on her heel. So her walk with God is not an easy walk. She goes like this, but the attacks are always on her heel. But the important thing is that whatever the woman brings forth will bruise the head of the enemy. Now, if you were Satan, then you will do all things possible so that the woman cannot bring forth her seed. Because if she brings forth that seed, it is a problem. And it means a lot of things. So Satan doesn't want that. And then when we are crowded with our problems, we give in and we say, you know, my plate is full. It's not now I'm going to say I'm going to serve God. Some women say, Lady Reverend, I have issues. But God uses women with issues. That's why he used the woman with the issue of blood. Hers was of blood, but we all have issues. Amen. But it didn't stop God from touching her or using her. So in the same way, we may have issues, but it doesn't take us off God's register to be used by God. Amen. Amen. So I came to encourage you that not many noble are called into ministry. Not many wise. 1 Corinthians 1. You know, but God has chosen the base things of this world and the weak things of this world. Women are supposed to be weaker vessels. But God has chosen those weak things so that we will not glory in the flesh, but we will glory in God. Amen. Amen. So if you have any doubts about God calling you, I will say that check your life again. Amen. Amen. Now, so now that we know and we have a desire that God has called us and we know that many are called, Eddie Reverend, what next? I think that 
Every leader is first called to be a follower. And that leadership is more about service. When you look at Exodus chapter 23, verse 25, The Bible says, And ye shall serve the Lord your God, and he shall bless thy bread and thy water, and I will take sickness away from the midst of thee. So we women are so embroiled and, and, and what? Inundated with things and issues. And yes, we have so many duties we have to fulfill. But we are looking to solve all those issues before we come and serve God. And the issues never finish. There will never be a perfect time to serve God. There's nothing like that. There's never be a perfect time. Oh, Lady Reverend, when I don't have any issues, when, I, when I, uh, my children grow, I'll serve God. There's nothing like that. When your children grow, other things will also grow. Amen? But the key is to serve God. Because he has promised that when you serve him, he shall bless. You shall serve and he shall bless. You shall serve and he shall bless. But we are looking for the blessings. And whenever we go to any meeting, we are looking for blessings, but look for service. Because when you discover service, he shall bless automatically. And you shall serve. That's the first part. Your God. Your God, not your issues, not your things. Some of us have made gods out of our marital problems. Because of your marital problems, you don't have any other issue in this life. When you pray, it's about your marital situation. When you give, it's about your marital situation. When you go to work, you are chatting, it's about your marital situation. You have made it a God. Meanwhile, God has said, you shall have no other gods before me. But your marriage has become your God. It's time to turn it around and begin to serve him. And as you serve him, he shall bless your bread and your water and take sickness away from the midst of thee. Amen, ladies. When the Bible says in Matthew 6, 33, Seek ye first. It means that things are in some order. The kingdom of God and his righteousness and all other things, including a peaceful marriage. Because when you are serving God, you come to a place where you don't even know you have problems. Because God gives you so much fulfillment that when you come back home, it's not an issue. In fact, I had two friends in Ghana who were married to unbelievers. Hey, they had made it their duty. Every day they are in their cars looking for where their husbands are. Then they will drive there. Then they will hide behind the hedge. Then they will come and say, I've seen you. Every day I say, you say it's not true. I've seen you. They lived like that for years. And I kept telling them, your husband will only serve God when God touches him. Not when you chase him. You have made yourself a spiritual police. And you are following this money. Whatever he wants to do, he will do. 
Why are we constantly trying to make ourselves personal Holy Ghosts in the lives of our husbands? The Bible says when the Holy Ghost comes, he will convict you of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. So we have made ourselves personal to convict our husbands of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. But it's not your work. And when you do work that's not your work, you leave the things that are really your work. Amen, ladies. So one of them, she's a lady pastor now. She told me, you you know, what you said is true. So I got tired. I stopped. (laughs) Then now, I said, stop. Fix your eyes on Jesus. At a point, you can't control a man. Leave him to the Holy Ghost. And let him do what? One lady said to me, Lady Reverend, I have bought into that philosophy so much that if I see him walking down the road on his head, I will not even be moved. (laughs) He should walk on his head. I'll be normal. But she said that when now she'll come home from serving God, she'll be so happy. Her life is fulfilled as she pours herself into other people. She'll just be singing. Then her husband will come home later. And then he'll say, won't you ask me where I'm coming from? (laughs) Won't you ask me why I'm coming at this time? She said, I can't believe it's happening. I said, God said, leave it to him. The husband became born again. Joined the church. He used to be misbehave. Hey, husbands misbehave, but this one at another level. <laughs> then later he went to bring his friend. He said his friend was, had been diagnosed of some terminal disease. He brought his friend to my husband. He said, Bishop, this guy needs God. He's not ready to meet God. So I think you should minister. So Bishop said, but you have done all the evangelism already. I don't need to speak. He gave his life to Christ. He joined the church, but after many years. Then the second one, even last two weeks, she was in my office. Lady Reverend, I prayed for my husband to be born again. But now that he's born again, I don't have time. I saw. I said, how, how many years did you pray for? She said, 23 years. He is now humbly following a prophet around, holding the prophet's bag. A very educated man. Humbly. He comes, he sits down. So I asked the wife, you've prayed 23 years. You turned your eyes to serve God. God has answered. And now you are saying, hmm, I can't flow. I said, why? He's become too loving, oh. <laughs> too loving. Too romantic. I said, women don't know what they like. <laughs> you said you were praying. That, hmm, I can't find my way. Oh, it's too much. I said, too much. I said, hey, I want to go and look for my sheep. But I said, do you have to go? Can't we have dinner? I say, hey, brother, before you were not calling me for dinner, I have some sheep to look after. I said, no, no, no. You have to now try and see how you will balance your new life. She said, I don't know if I want that new life. I told her, you are a living testimony to God's faithfulness. And also, as he got born again, he got born again in another ministry. So he came and told her that now that I'm born again in another ministry, you will now come and serve God with me in my ministry. Excuse me, brother. <laughs> All these years, when I was serving God, doing my pastoral exams, rising, I've now become a lady. She's just one step away. You say I should leave and go where? I said, that's not what you should say. She said, Your Highness, with all due respect. <laughs> this and that and that and that. You know? So I told her, one day I'll call you and you will give your testimony at a women's ministry. 
What brought the turn around? Was it they are chasing their husbands with the cars? Was it they are making themselves Holy Ghost? It's serving the Lord. And you shall serve. And he shall bless. And also sometimes, you know, if you are baking cake, and every time you put it in the oven, you are opening, you are opening. What happens? The cake will fall inside. So if you are praying for your husband, every day you are looking whether the cake has risen. What is that? You leave it to God. And God takes care of it. And that is the hard work for you women. To leave it. It's very reverent. I have to show him the way to everlasting life. You've done your part. It's not changing. It's time to change your focus now. The Bible says about the virtuous woman, she stretches out her hand to the needy. Stretching out your hand means going beyond yourself. Some of you, all that you are concerned about, me, myself, and I, my husband, my children, there's nobody else in your orbit. In your little world, there's nobody else. Everything is about you. You will never be fulfilled in that way. Amen. Being in ministry myself makes me a more understanding wife. Because I know how it is to prepare to preach. And I know how it is when you are hearing, you are trying to hear from God. And I know how it is when, well, I feel so uneasy whenever I have to preach. It's like there's a certain burden on you that does not lift. So you are always counting the days and you are looking forward to the last day. So I asked my husband, do you also look forward to the last day when you are preaching? He said, very much. And I was very surprised. I said, eh, you too. I asked the Saki, do you also get butterflies when you are going to preach? He said, a lot. I said, I don't believe. Because when you are preaching, you say, I'm preaching good. <laughs> and you say, I'm preaching the house down. I'm preaching like a house on fire. He said, oh, mommy, we are just encouraging ourselves. <laughs> in the Lord. But because I know that, and I know the stresses of preaching and ministry. When he walks through the gate from a crusade, God gives me the grace to be ready to receive him. Because I am like, oh wow, this is a mighty warrior coming from somewhere. But when you don't understand, it's not that you are bad, but you feel that, hey, 23 days in Zambia. So when it's, will it be my turn for us to also have some me time? Uh, he's happy there. Whilst I am alone, he will come and meet me here. And that brings conflict into the marriage. Because you yourself are not involved in anything in the service of God. And therefore, when you are not a participant, you become a critic. Do you know why the commentators can comment? Because they are not playing. Oh, Abedi Pele should have given the ball to this and this should have done this. But when you are a player, you don't have time to be a commentator. In the things of God, when you are a player, you, when you come home, you are even tired. Oh. So you don't have time to, 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 to quarrel. The energy to quarrel is not there. But when you don't have anything to do, oh, you have a lot of energy. You are checking his phone. You, are, hey, you don't have anything to do in this world. Personal Holy Ghost, you are checking his phone. Then you can say, eh, what are those messages? And what are the, It's not going to change anything. Amen. But when you yourself are involved in ministry, it even helps you to appreciate your heart. So you are serving God. 
but suddenly it's bringing spice to your marriage. You also now begin to have conversation about ministry. Many pastors' wives and pastors' households, the quarrels are not about ourselves. They are about sheep and the work. A lot of the quarrels don't have to do with our marriages. It's about people. And sometimes my husband will say, Mommy, do you know something? The people are sleeping in their house at 1 a.m. And they are even being happy in their beds. Why are we here arguing about them? I'm not going to continue this argument. Amen. He says, you know, we are quarreling about these people. When they are leaving, they will even tell you. So why are you making this? Everything you cry about is about the people. Your husband says, oh, this person is not true. The person is not like that. You have taken all your energy. Hey. When you look at your life, I say, is it about me? No. Is it about me? No. It's all about people. And that can even wreck your home. About people. Because Satan does not make us see. So we say, no, no, no. You must see this point. It's not that. It's this. It's not this, it's that. When you look and say, ah, if I didn't have all this, I'll have a more peaceful marriage. Yeah. It's people. That's right. Amen. Amen. That's why I believe God continues to turn our attention to the one we are looking at. And that is looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher. If and when my husband goes on crusades, you see, yes, I was talking about the changing seasons of life. When you are preaching, people think it means everything is easy for you. But everything is not easy. If even Jesus in Gethsemane could say, if this cup be possible, I will never understand it because when Peter said he shouldn't go to the cross, he rebuked him. But then now you have come to the garden, you are saying, if it's possible, let this cup pass. And you are not rebuking yourself. And he kept saying, oh, for this hour have I come. But when it comes to the crunch, his father, can we negotiate here? If it be possible, let this cup pass. Because at a point, we all feel the pressure. And the pressure points of obeying God is not always easy. But he went to Zambia recently, my husband. Twelve cities. Doing virtually two, two days for every city. Two days for every city. Two days. I'm also sitting in my Ghana. I always thank God for giving me a patch in his garden. A small patch to tend. Because if he didn't, I don't think I'll be a normal woman. I mean, normal as insane. But as he's going, then you two, you are sitting down. When you come from work, your life has ended. You don't have any service to render God. You don't have any sheep to look after. You don't have anybody to check on. You don't have any sick to minister to. You don't have any discouraged to lift up. You don't have any soul to reach out to. He's gone on, cam- on campaigns for 24 days. And you also have a child at home. So then those 24 days, what are you doing? Waiting and sitting and waiting for him. You will become a better woman. But if you also find things to do in the house of God. I'm doing pastoral care. I'm looking to see the pastor's wives. I'm doing marriage counseling. I'm going to the orphanage. 
I'm seeing if the prisons ministry, the counterback ministry, is it going on? Pastors' wives who are not in my church are calling me because they have heard radio, whatever. If I go to Facebook, I have counseling there. If I go to here, I have counseling there. People come. I say, this is, I don't have time. So I've made all the messages like uh, Panadol, Tylenol, and this. So when you guys, okay. So Lady Reverend, I came to see you because this is, as soon as you start talking, I see your voice, okay. So your problem is one, two, three, four. Your diagnosis is your love life. Your diagnosis is how to deal with rivalry in ministry. Your diagnosis is the way to ministry. Your diagnosis is the root of bitterness. The, so these four, Panadol, Paracetamol, Tylenol, Peptobismol, one in the afternoon, one day evening, two times daily, you are solved. And then, they come back and they say, Lady Reverend, our lives have changed so much. So I see a lot of things is ignorance. People don't have light. And they don't have anyone to go to. So if, by God's grace, I can be a little light in my corner, then blessed be the Lord. Amen. And then, the things you are looking for, by God's grace, I don't look for them. The things you are looking for, I don't look for them. Because I meet people say, Pastors, since my wife met you, my ministry has changed. There's peace in my house. I say, really? But I don't know you. I say, I know you. Lady Reverend, we know you. I say, really? What did I speak? Was it law? Was it Act 25, Section 2? Was it the Constitution? It was the infallible word of God. That is what changes lives. And so as he's at crusade, I'm also doing things. So when he calls and says, Hey man, we finished the crusade. We are now heading to the airport. I'm coming at this time. I'm rather mixed feelings. They are coming back. Now, I have to do a menu. I have to do three different kinds of meals because unfortunately, I have spoiled my husband from the beginning. He used to say, Oh, why are you making more than one dish? I said, Oh, because you deserve variety. But as time has gone on, when I give him one, he said, where is the variety? I didn't know I was nurturing him. And then he goes to preach. In my house, there's variety. It's like a restaurant. I don't come home and there's only one food. Then the lighthouse pastors also hear it. Then they go to their wives. Lady Reverend has variety. Pressure. Then when the wives meet, they say, Mommy, what type of pressure are you? I said, look, I don't intend to create any pressure. It has just come. So then, I have to arrange these meals. Then I see. So when people are inviting me, I say, when? If it's crusade time, it's very likely that I can come. But if it's not crusade time, LPBM, move it. We can't go. Because when our Lord enters, we must be home. So when he enters, I'm like, I've not been anywhere. Welcome. So how was it? He's very tired. So after eating, he just sleeps deep. And there's someone me, I was asleep. You didn't come. I said, the laborer's sleep must be sweet. <laughs> so you must sleep. But what gives rise to that? Whilst he was away, I also did what God has called me to do. It may not always be public, but it is still serving God. 
like I told you yesterday, the bishop who I met in Congo when he was introducing me, he said, uh, Vraiment, I have a confession this evening. I didn't know the confession. I was just sitting there. It was the first day of the preaching. He said, when they said this lady was coming, and they said she would have a press conference, the people would like to interview her. I said, yeah. This woman, can she speak? Because whenever I go to Ghana, all that I see her doing is serving us. She serves us food. From uh, tea break to coffee break to lunch to dinner. Then she'll be saying, bring the plates. Change that. So that's all I know. And then I see her very little because she goes, shh. And then she also goes, shh. Those are the only two things I know about her. So then when she landed, and then the journalists came, TV with all their things, I was watching to see what she would say. So when they asked her the questions, the woman began to answer one by one. But I was shocked. I said, so this woman who serves food, she can speak. <laughs> so if you come to my church, you will not see me behind the pulpit. And you can easily say, therefore, Lady Reverend is not serving God. But service can be diverse. And I don't have to overthrow my husband to feel important. Amen, ladies. And what I do, the Bible says that about the virtuous woman that let her works praise her. Sometimes I don't even know it's anything. Do you understand? Everything you start looks like nothing. And then God just blesses it and uses it. But people come and they are crying. You know, Reverend, when I listened to the radio on Sunday, Saturday, it liberated me. I was just about to take drugs, like this woman said. She went back to her marital home. Only heaven will reveal the extent of our work. Here on earth, we will never know. But as you serve God, he will bless your bread. He will bless your water. And he will take sickness away from you. Amen, ladies. So whatsoever your hands find to do, do it. Now many of us feel that ministry is pulpit ministry. But I told you about that bishop in Brazzaville to show you that if you come to my church, even when we have ladies meetings, it's once a year. So I speak three times in a year in my church. So you say, ah, then this one doesn't do anything. <laughs> Lady Pastor Bridget Marion's husband said to me years ago, hey mommy, if my, husband, my wife had not come to be your assistant, I would never have known the extent of your work. And he's in my church, a member for many years. He said, I will never have known. I said, oh, why? He said, because you sit quietly in front. Nobody knows what you do. I said, really? He said, why don't you make a big board in your office and write the things I do? And then this, because, mommy, I think that a lot of people take you for granted because they don't know what you do. I said, Bishop Ogo, sign board, I don't think it's necessary. My father, who sees in secrets, will reward me openly. And he is rewarding me openly. Openly. When I meet people, I don't know from where. Lady Reverend, can you come to Boston to speak? Lady Reverend, can you come to Abidjan? Lady Reverend, can you come? I can't even meet there. But because I have to also balance my marriage. So when my Lord is coming, I can't also go. When I tell some of my friends, eh, hey, then you are very good. <laughs> That's what they say. But all in all, ministry can be diverse. Whatever your hands find to do, do it. Amen. Amen. Some of us are intercessors.
we will never be seen. We will never be seen. For me, I believe that every wife is called to be an intercessor. Because it's the wives who know the prayer topics. More than the head of the prayer ministry. And most of the time, instead of praying, we come and we have a UN meeting. I have something to tell you, you know. I've seen this, this, this. You must change. And like Abraham, he will not listen. To the voice of Sir, he will not listen. Like I told you last night. So when you go and tell your Abraham something, he doesn't listen. Don't think that this is my husband. He's not like this pastor. If he listened, da, da, da. Abraham did not listen. When Sarah told him, send Hagar away. And which, when we are going with our issues, we also add emotionalism. You see, we don't talk like God. When God came, he said that, send Hagar away. My covenant is not with her. It's with uh, Sarah. Simple. But how did Sarah put it? This born woman's child shall not be heir with my child. Therefore, send her. Two different ways the same message. We are so emotional. And we add that it's not about competition with Hagar. It's about God's covenant. But our emotions cloud what we are saying. This born woman's son shall not be heir with my son. Therefore, send her away. That's not how God... Go and learn how God spoke so that you also learn how to speak. Because it's not just a word, ladies. It's a word fitly spoken. How do we speak? And fitly also means timing. And I don't believe it's everything a woman has to share. Because some things you see, your husband hasn't seen. Not because he's not spiritual, but because God gives you a certain perception. The woman at the well, she said to Jesus, I perceive that you are a man of God. The Shunammite woman said, I perceive that you are, thou art a holy man. So this man who passed is a holy man of God. Let's make a bed, a this, a that, a that for him. You see, so women perceive. But when you perceive, you don't always have to go and share. The Bible says, Mary hid those things in her heart and pondered over them. Sometimes that is intercession. You intercede, but you want to share like Sarah. Now, do it now. Sarah said, I have seen Ishmael mocking, mocking at Isaac. I think it's Genesis 13, 1 or something. I have seen, or 17. I have seen Ishmael mocking at Isaac. Abraham has not seen it. The day that Ishmael was, Isaac was weaned, the Bible says Sarah saw Hagar's son standing afar off, mocking. And then she went and shared it with Abraham. That, did you see the look of Ishmael? Did you see his body language? It's not that your husband is trying to be blind, but he does not see those things. You see, women know when he does, it means that this. I said, did you see that look? I don't like the look she gave me. I don't like that look. My husband would say, what look? She did not give any look. It's not because he wants to be some way, but he genuinely, he does not judge by. But you are like that. And instead of creating World War II, you can tell him, but don't force him down, down his throat. Retreat to your closet and pray. God will give you wisdom, whether you should visit it again, whether you should leave it, whether you should, but a lot of things are changed by prayer, not by what we say. So when I read that chapter, I said, ah, so the fathers were like that long ago. <laughs> Sarah said, I've seen Ishmael mocking. Abraham said, I don't see what your problem is. Ishmael has not mocked. It's just because he's not your son. 
you are reading into it. Genesis 21.1 Ishmael 9 Ishmael took the fire off and mocked. But Abraham didn't see. And based on that, Sarah said, send Ishmael away. But God's own was not based on Ishmael's actions and it was based on his covenant, his plan, his purpose. So God's way is a higher level and our way is the base level. So we have to refine it and become more spiritual. Amen, ladies. <laughs> we bring quarrels where there should be no quarrels. We say, why are you not seeing? I perceive that this is a holy man of God. The Shunammites, uh, the woman of the world, with all her problems, she said, I perceive that thou art a prophet. The woman with the alabaster box perceived his burial, but all the people there didn't know. So she perceived it. But when the disciples said, why are you doing this? That you and I would have stopped. They said, excuse me, sir, can I ask you a question? This perfume, are you the one who bought it? Are you the one who bought it? I know I've not been invited to this dinner, eh? But there's something I have to do which is very important. I can see that Jesus is going to be buried. If you can't see, by that time they've thrown you out. Your purpose, your emotionalism does not solve problem. And showing that for you, you know. It does, but this woman never ever responded. She quietly persisted to do what she knew was right. She did what she could. She never stopped. She never answered Peter. She never answered Simon the Pharisee. She never answered the 12 disciples. She never even spoke to Jesus. She was just weeping, wiping with her feet, anointing with the perfume. That's all she did. She stayed focused. But many of us, we go on excursions. You hear excursion on a boat, you go. Excursion by sea, you go. You go on excursion before you come back to the real people. Sometimes some wives in my church, they send me, Mommy, I've gone on excursion this morning. Then I also reply, return. <laughs> because we can really go on excursions. May the Lord help us. Amen. 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 So we know, so the title of this is what? The Woman in Ministry. And Ministry. Okay? So now, how do we know Um, as leaders how we ought to conduct ourselves because uh, Timothy says that so that we will know how to conduct ourselves in the house of God now I always say that my husband teaches on loyalty and disloyalty and I always say that the first part of call for loyalty is the spouse and if you are not married to even a pastor you are a lady pastor. You are supposed to also support the visionary. So without loyalty, we cannot create any lasting thing. Do you see? And um, if there's no loyalty, what happens is you build a church, then it gets finished. You, get, you build a church, then it scatters. Then you build again. Can you imagine if you build with blocks and every time somebody comes to take some of your blocks away. You will not progress in the project that you are doing. Do we understand? So ministry is like that. The Bible says that you are God's building. So if you are God's building, then the building must be that we are adding on and we are getting somewhere. But 
if we are always having people removing some of the building blocks, it's not going to work. And we are going to have a lot of problems. So we need loyalty to be able to do what is right. So when you read 1 Corinthians 4 verse 2, the Bible says, Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. Amen? It is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. So if you are a steward, then you are somebody in service. A steward is somebody who waits on somebody. And we are God's stewards, so we wait on God. So now, how do we see um, the signs of disloyalty? If a person is supposed to be found faithful, how do we see whether there are certain signs which show that we are disloyal, even if we are wives? Amen. <laughs> so we are going to look at the signs. My husband says that in the hospital, you look for signs to diagnose. You don't just see the disease unless you see the signs. So in the same way, if we're able to see these signs in ourselves and in our ministries, it will help us to be faithful. Now in John 2 verse 24, the Bible says that, But Jesus did not commit himself unto them, because he knew all men, and needed not that any should testify of man, for he knew what was in man. Amen. So these signs will help us to navigate through the maze of people who sing praises. You know, because even those surrounding Christ seem to praise him and acknowledge him as a great leader. But the Bible says Jesus did not commit himself unto them. So we cannot commit ourselves to just anybody. When you read John 7 verse 3, the Bible says, His brethren therefore said unto him, Depart hence and go into Judea, that thy disciples may also see the works that thou doest. But the Bible says that they said not that because they, they did not believe in him. In verse 5, for neither did his brethren believe in him. So they were encouraging him, oh, go, go to Judea, go and do these signs. But behind it, they did not believe in him. And that is one of the things that are difficult to handle or navigate in a church. But you have to accept that there are people who are not all genuine. But Jesus did not commit himself unto them because he knew what was in man. But at the same time, he did not develop bitterness towards them. That's a very difficult balance to manage, but it is possible. But his own brethren did not believe in him. They did not believe in him. They were persuading him, oh, go and do these signs. And if you are also not discerning, you will go. And you will find that it was the wrong time. Jesus said, my time has not yet come. So he didn't go when the people were suggesting. So leaders need to know that not everybody is with them. Now, how do we um, see such people? A leader who disappoints you in the time of pressure is not a good leader. Amen. When somebody disappoints you, you say, come for the meeting, the person is not there. Be there at this time, the person is not there. And you keep making excuses, you are refusing to see the signs. 
because the person is not reliable. The verse we read said, it is required in a man that he be found faithful. And we too must be faithful. Can we be relied on? Can they have confidence in us? When they give us something to do, we, will we be faithful and stick with it? Hmm. Proverbs 25 verse 19. Proverbs 25 verse Confidence in an unfaithful man in time of trouble is like a broken tooth and a foot out of joint. Usually it is when the church is going through a difficult time or when the church is going under pressure, that is when you will see who you should trust. Because when things are going well, everybody will be around. But when things are not going well, you will see the real people who are sticking with you. When the church is going through some pressure, some hard times, so confidence in an unfaithful man, in time of trouble, not in time of good, it's like a broken tooth and a foot out of joint. You can't walk with that and you cannot work with that. So we should also do well under pressure. Don't break down under pressure. That brings me to a sermon, the strong woman. Not strong in yourself, but strong in the Lord. But there's a certain inner strength you need if you are going to walk with God. So that you don't break down too easily. Amen. I said yesterday, the Bible says that if you break in the time of adversity, if you, then your strength is small. God said to Joshua, yes, you will conquer everywhere, everywhere where your foot shall tread. Only be thou strong and very courageous. It takes strength to obey God. It takes strength to stick with it. It takes some inner strength to go through certain things. And it's not easy. But you must be a leader that can function under pressure. We have had our share of pressure. And pressure is not always easy. We had some land in Kolegono. We were in the newspapers. Things that were not true were being said. Some pastors believed it. Some pastors said, these things are happening to you because you don't pray. But I believe that our church prays more than they know. Because we prayed in all the streets of Kolegono, even before we fell into trouble. We prayed on every street, in the night, always. And in our church, we have what we call prayer duty. If you are a pastor, you are on prayer duty. Because my husband says that doctors are on duty. So you too, you are on duty. So every night, prayer duty, you are on prayer duty. And the topics were not about ourselves. Increase us with men as a flock. That was our verse. Increase us. And then as you are walking on the streets of Kolegono, you are calling the people. We see the people coming. We see souls being won. We see every day prayer duty. No matter whether you work in a bank, whether you are on duty, you have to show up. Amen? Amen. Confidence in an unfaithful man. If you are supposed to be at prayer duty, you are supposed to go and do theater emergency and you sleep. What will happen to the patient? But when it comes to the things of God, we are casual about it. Oh, Oh, it's not any. Oh, it's not whatever. We don't value spiritual things. And we feel that we are doing it for the pastor. And you won't go to a prayer meeting. You are also calling other people. I won't go. Will you go? 
I mean, I'm very tired this evening. Will you go? And then before you know, you have gotten disciples who are also not going. Confidence in an unfaithful man in the time of pressure. Some people resigned when we were under pressure because they lived in the community. Very few people or persons resigned because they lived in the community. The community is shouting, you're under pressure. Hey, I can't be with you at this juncture. I'm checking out. So you check out. It is a sign of disloyalty. And we should not be like that. May the Lord help us to still be faithful even in the time of pressure. Amen. When leaders who have financial weaknesses, John 12 verse 6, the only part I want in that verse was Judas was a thief. This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and he had the bag and bare what was therein. Amen. If you cannot look after worldly riches, who will entrust to you true riches? You look after the finances of the church. You are not faithful. You are an usher, you steal. You are a treasurer, you steal. You see, when I was a Christian many years ago, it would not even be a topic. But now it is. One day we caught a thief in our church. Not by catching him red-handed, but by word of knowledge. God just revealed that this person is a thief, like Judas, and that he steals from the bag. But there was nothing on the person. He was so faithful. Even two weeks before he would be caught, my husband called him up at a, an evening service and said he was taking off him. My husband called him, Brother, come. You are so faithful. You come for every meeting. And he said to the church, even things that don't concern him, weddings, he will be here, funerals, he will be here. Brother, may the Lord lift you up. And he received it. <laughs> Two weeks after that, I think the Lord was angry. <laughs> so the word of the Lord came, saying, somebody was going to put money in the offering. And then wrote at the back, please, this offering is very precious to me. Don't steal it. And the person said, I don't know why I wrote that. But I was just conversing, chatting. When this Asha came, I just felt that I should write behind that. A pastor's wife said, don't take this offering. I've suffered before I got it. I mean it for God, not for you. All behind the envelope. <laughs> so when the person said that, it was just a conversation. And my husband just took it up and immediately took his phone and started to call the treasury and said, a lady, because a la the lady called and said that today is 31st night. I will be going to the offering basket when they call for offering. Because, you know, Bishop said that we should give different currencies and trust God that we'll have income from different currencies. Well, I now have an international job and I've gone to this country, this country, this country, this country. So, I'm bringing money from this country, this country. So when I'm coming to the basket, check me out. You know, so she said that. And then when my husband took the phone and said, 
Somebody said she put this envelope, this, 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 this. Look for it. Because we don't handle the counting. Then the treasury said, we can't find it. What? But even then still, we hadn't thought of stealing. So then my husband said, oh, you can't find it. Then the pastor who is in charge said, Bishop, you know, sometimes people like to impress you. So she may have said that she's bringing it, but I don't think she dropped it in the bowl. So my husband found a way and decided to do an investigation. Then the lady said, no. I remember the particular usher who came. I remember it was this one. Hey, when they went, the envelope was lying there coolly. With the letter behind. Don't take the da-da-da. It is for God. And da-da-da-da-da. What? They couldn't believe it. Then he started to confess. They asked him, so is this something you've been doing? Yes. Even when it's people's wedding. I come, because in our church, we give all the offer to you on the wedding day. So when it's people's wedding, I come, and I pretend as if I'm counting it for them. Then I take the cash checks in it. Funerals, I do the same. Today, he's not in our midst anymore. Watch for signs. You don't make such a person a leader. He will betray you for money. That's what Judas did. When he came to choosing between Jesus and money, he chose money. So it's a sign. You are not faithful with tithing. You cannot be a leader. Pastors also pay tithes. That's what people don't know. And often we even pay more. But it's not public knowledge. So people don't know. In my church, whenever my husband is doing fundraising, the ones who come the most are our pastors. Our lay pastors who work in banks. Who work, they respond to the giving all the time. More. Because they love God. It's a sign. The person doesn't pay tithe. You can't be a leader. Because you are not faithful. You are a thief and a robber. I'm sorry. You may say Judas, but God said you have robbed me. Amen. Now when you come to our church, our offering bowl started to have padlocks and Reverend Ampiokofi came and said, Lighthouse, Lighthouse. Every day you are doing something different. Your offering baskets now have padlocks. <laughs> so when we went for the reception, I said, Reverend, it's not everything you know. We've been there. I went to one big church in Accra for a wedding and I told the bishop, I said, hey, the way you take your offerings, is not right. Oh. Your basket is so open. It's not right. I said, oh, really, do you believe people can? I said, do I believe? I have walked that road. Then last year, Remember Steve Mercer told me, oh, this bishop, his PA, who has to take the offering to the bank, every Monday when she goes, she shares it to two. Every Monday she shares it to two. Then the bank called that we have noticed that your PA's account is growing with the church's account at the same time. He couldn't believe it because he trusted her so much. So Reverend Steve Mercer told me, now when you go to the church, the offering, the cage that you will see around it, when you see it, you see, everybody has a story. So when you see people behaving queerly, you don't know where they've been. But we are not faithful. And when a person is not faithful financially, the person should not be a leader. He will be disloyal. Because if you cannot be 
uh, faithful with unrighteous mammon. Unrighteous mammon. Who shall commit to you the true riches? You don't have to commit true riches to such people. Amen? Amen. Leaders who are worldly. 2 Timothy 4 verse 10. For Demas had forsaken me, having loved this present world. For Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world. A lot of us don't serve God because we don't love the future world. We love the present world. The future world is eternity. The future world is heaven. It's not even in our sermons. It's not even on our minds. The Bible says we are strangers, but some of you, you have naturalized and nationalized in this earth. You have come here to stay. You are not thinking about eternity. There's nothing eternal about you. It is not enough that today you are in God. Tomorrow, where will you be? Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world. Because of money, you don't come for meetings. Because of money, you will never give up any hours to serve God. You? No, never. Say, I'm a cleaner. Do you know what the number of hours means to me? Whatever that. Look, it's all offering. You give and you... Some of you think that full-time pastors just sleep. When my husband came full-time, people would come and say, now your husband doesn't work anymore. Because ministry work is not work. Some of them will call and say, it's Bishop there. I'm sure he's asleep. 12 o'clock, he's asleep. 12, he works harder than you at that your bank. We come home tired and we, we believe that, like Abraham, we command our household. <laughs> so we carry our children with us. Lady Pastor Vida here, she lives in Geneva. And she was pastoring with her husband at church in Basel at their own cost. In Lighthouse, we don't pay you to play instruments. And we don't pay you to go and do pastoral work in another city. We will not. Because we ourselves did not grow up that way. And it's not about to happen. Can you imagine? After our 3,000 branches, we should pay all of you. The what work? What, where will God's work go? We cannot pay you. I'm sorry. They'll be running with their children to catch the train. Food that they'll eat during the day. They'll be running. To get, but they don't complain. Eh? They are sitting in Ghana and then they are sending us. And then they are whatever, whatever. No. Over here, they don't understand. They are coming from Africa to impose on us the whatever. Do you know our European experience? It's more than yours. There's no house help here. There's no house help here. Stand up, lady Vita, so that they'll see that you are real. Going to Basel, day in and out. Reverend Jimmy of blessed memory, passing away, going to hire a studio himself in Zurich. Paid himself with his wife and child every time they go. Friday they'll spend the weekend doing what? Calling the sheep, establishing them, going. What is it? You shall serve. Hallelujah. And he shall bless. When you see bless, you say, hey, Lighthouse, they are really going somewhere. They're... Ask about their story. That's right, that's right, that's right. Ask about their story. Amen. Amen. Today she's been transferred to Ben. She still travels. She still travels. Lady Pastor Carrie says, No chatel. And then one day we went for camp. 
They had gone to Geneva. Their father had come. They didn't come for the meeting. Hey, they don't want to remember. <laughs> they don't want to remember. Because as we are sacrificing, you, you want to sacrifice what? Nothing. Eh. You want to sacrifice eh? We are all sacrificing. And the, the um, uh, amazing thing is that the grace that God has given is that our pastors are happy to serve. They find it a privilege because they, they, they have tasted it all. It's not theory that you say, oh, ministry is great. Ministry will change your life. Even your children. Your children to be in the church is a blessing. Because when you see Europe, but some of you and your children have to do anything. How long? When they? I can't pick them up. I can't. Da, 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 da. Then the streets possess them. Then you say, oh, Lady Reverend, how did that happen? My youngest daughter, she has a little bag in my office. I also went to buy a little desk. I said, when I'm doing something, you are also doing your homework. <laughs> I created a shower in my office. She bathed. Mommy, I have bath. Sit down. Do the homework. Is it math or what? Do it. After that, we are all going home together. There's no problem. So by the grace of God, there's no complaint about ministry. Eh, this church. And then we are alone. And then we are... No. We tell them it's a privilege. God could call many people. But he called us. What a privilege. Demas had forsaken me. Having loved, loved, loved. And when you love the world, you are not getting what you are looking forward to. You've been looking for... My husband always says it. You've been looking for, we don't see what you are finding. People say, that's for lighthouse. When my assistant went to the bank and they said, eh, would you like some loan? We want to give you a loan. And she said, oh no, I don't want any loan. Then the bank manager came and said, hmm, as for these people, they look after them very well. Oh. So the loan, they will not accept it, these people. But it's not about looking after them very well. It is about serving him and he blessing. Amen. 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 Some of us, we are not practical. You see, in Ghana, maybe there's land nowhere. Then you find land just on the outskirts. Uh, me, I can't go and live in the outskirts. I have to live in East Legon. I have to live in this place. You live there. You are paying rent you cannot afford. You are getting poorer and poorer. And then the lighthouse pastor has found his building somewhere. And his father has taught him that frugality. That when Jesus fed the 5,000, he made them collect the crumbs. So you too collect the crumbs. And then build little by you go. He said that, hey, that's for these people. They all live in their own houses. So it wasn't because they got a huge amount of money. But he shall save and he shall bless. That is the secret. I can only share what I know. I can't share what I don't know. Pastor Jimmy passed away this year. We went to Geneva to bury him. Come and see the tributes. Come and see the lives he had affected. Come and see people coming from everywhere. Seeing he poured out his life for us. And did he know that God would call him at this time? He didn't know. But he thanked Bishop for the opportunity to do something that will count for eternity. Amen. He had one of the biggest funerals Switzerland had ever seen. And the funeral home said, we have never handled such numbers before. What type of person is this? It wasn't the WHO he worked in that came to pay homage. It was the souls he had touched and the lives he had labored for. What did Jesus say? If you want to be great in God's kingdom, 
Learn to be the Lord of all. Learn to be the servant of all. There's no sacrifice in our lives anymore. The cross has gone out. We don't even talk about the cross anymore. But Christianity is built on the cross. It's built on sacrifice. My life is not easy. As my husband goes to this country, this country, building here, doing this, I am not a superwoman. I always tell people I'm the weakest woman you could ever find. But grace found me. And God said, if you sacrifice, I also give you back more than you can carry. Amen. Amen. So when they announced these days, you know, just before I came, they announced a program. They said, seekers, Lady Reverend Adelaide Heward Mills, First Lady, United Denominations of Lighthouse Originating Churches. Because that's now our new name, because we've broken into other denominations. Because the church is becoming too big. So we broke it. So he says, eh, United Denominations, eh, First Lady of United. Do you know how that title came about? <laughs> Demas had forsaken me, having loved this present world. We love the world just like the world. We fight for the things just like the world. There's nothing spiritual about us. How can we then build ministries that count for God? There's nothing like that. We have to change. Demas forsake apostle, forsook Apostle Paul. <laughs> if you will for, forsake anybody, not Apostle Paul. But it doesn't matter who you are. Amen. Signs of disloyalty. Leaders who think that they can do what you are doing better than you can. Second Samuel 15 verse 4. Absalom said, Oh, that I were made judge in the land, that every man which hath any suit or cause might come unto me, and I will do him justice. You are not the king. You are standing at the gate. And when people are coming with their problems, so, you know, the reason why the problem is there is that the pastor has not deputed somebody to do that. That's what Absalom said. The king has not uh, actually created an office for that. Can we see verse 3? Can we say 2 Samuel 15 verse 3? Absalom said unto him, See, thy matters are good and right, but there is no man deputed of the king to hear thee. You see, you have issues, but the king has not thought through his work properly. And the king has not assigned somebody for this position. You see, the pastor, there are a lot of issues in the church, but he has not been able to assign somebody to take care of this issue. But if it were me, I'll do a better job. I'll do a better job. So he first of all says, I'm not saying anything bad. I'm just saying that you have a case. And I'm not saying anything bad. I'm just saying that the king has not thought of putting anybody in that position. And then in verse 4, he goes to say that, um, Oh, that I were made judge in the land, if it were me, that every man which has any suit or cause might come to me, me Absalom, and I will do him justice. You are taking eyes from the head pastor to you. And you are saying... Oh, you know, there are just issues. If, if I were chosen, or if I were king, or if I were judge, because a king judges, then, you know, these issues will not be here. You think that you can do the work better than the person that God has put there to do that job. And that brings a problem. Amen. Amen. 
And as wives, we should not think like that. David was a king because God made him king. He was not the king because he was the most qualified person. He was the king because God chose him. Sometimes the assistant may look even more capable at certain things than the head. But don't make the mistake of fighting against the order that God has set. You will not succeed. It is God who sets and it is God who removes. If he so pleases, he will remove. You cannot remove what God has set in place. Wives should know their place. Amen? Amen. Yes, we can advise. Yes, we can influence. But at a certain time, we are not the ones God has put in a certain place. And we have to recognize that. Otherwise, it brings conflict and division into the ministry and into the home. Amen. Amen. Mine, how many minutes do I have left? Hmm. Any leader who is prepared to attack his own father or senior in ministry is a sign of disloyalty. Second Samuel 16 verse 11. David said, Behold, my son Absalom seeketh my life. Some people come from another church and you have to be careful. They have a lot of bad things to say about where they are coming from. <laughs> And you are also happy to receive them and to hear them. It is a sign that that's how they are. Amen? Amen. Absalom was prepared to attack his own father. Such a person is deadly. Don't admit such a person into your fold, thinking that he will be loyal to you. Remember that he was thinking of attacking his own father. How much more you that he just discovered. Absalom chased his own father out of town. Never befriend somebody who attacks his own pastor. Amen. Yes, God had said to David, I'll punish you because of Bathsheba. But the Bible says temptations are sure to come. But woe to them by whom? You see, Jesus was going to be betrayed. But why should you be the candidate who ticks all the boxes? Let somebody else qualify for that, not you. Amen? But we attack our senior pastors. We attack the people God has put. God does not put perfect men. But it's God who chooses. Maybe you would have removed David. But God said, I'll give him another chance. Because he has repented. Amen. Even Saul, after God had said that he had removed him, he stayed on the throne for a while. That is God's way. It's not your way. So you are attacking your own father who brought you to Christ, ministered to you in ministry, helped you, set you up. It's happening in so many churches abroad. So they are split into little, 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 little bits. <laughs> and we promote it. And we say we are Christians. It's an unchristian way of behaving. Amen. May the Lord help us. Leaders who are not prepared to be trained or retrained in ministry. Amen. Paul trained Timothy and told him exactly what to do. He told him what to preach, how to minister. He called him my son Timothy. Timothy was obviously prepared for training and retraining. 1 Timothy 6.20 
all Timothy, keep that which is committed to thy trust. But the same Paul had said that, oh, stir up the gift in you that was given to you by the laying on of hands and all that. So he discovered, yeah, you have the gift. But it doesn't mean you cannot be trained. So if you can't be trained in the church, you are not going anywhere to happen. And also, people do not become anything without training. That's what I've discovered. Even in my small office, doing a protocol and hospitality, I'm always training. I'm always training. If you worked with me last year, you come again this year, I would train and retrain you again. And over the years, as I have trained, I have discovered that I have to do a manual. So I've done a manual for myself. That when the volunteers come, this is what I'm going to train them. So I train you. I say, number one, your body order is very important. I don't have to assume that everybody knows. And I say, if you don't like deodorant in Ghana, you can use lemon, which is very organic, and lime. It's even more organic than the chemicals you are using. Number two, dental hygiene is very important. When you say, please, may I give you something to drink? I should not fall under the power (laughs) because of that. Three, you are not allowed to look tired. I used to have an assistant. You know, we work, we work with so many large numbers. We've just finished feeding about close to 1,000 people in our pastor's conference. So we have to organize well and all that. And then sometimes, that's why when she's tired, it just shows on her face. And I said, why do you look tired? The people feel that they are worrying you. In this office, it's service with a smile. I said, she said, oh, mommy, it's because I'm fair. I said, really? <laughs> really? I am not going to countenance that. You have to change your face. Service, and over the years, she has changed so much. And then she would rather be telling people, hey, you, you don't smile. What's your problem? I say, is that you today? Yeah, telling somebody you don't smile. And then, how to ask the people, um, please, what can I offer you to drink? How do you ask the person what you are offering to do when the person doesn't know what you have on offer? How? So I say, you come, you say, I have guava juice, I have mango juice, I have malta Guinness, and I have this. Please, what can I offer you to drink? That is how you... And you shouldn't be also listening to the conversation of the men of God. As they are talking, oh, you know, when I went to the whole side, you are listening, you've lost God. Eh, I, I used to have a driver like that. When I'm talking on the phone and I'm saying... Oh, yes, I'll go on Tuesday. Then you say, oh, no, madam, it's Thursday. <laughs> you are not supposed to be listening to the men of God. Then he asks, you know, I went to Kenneth. He's, he's not talking to you. So you just go about your duties. How do you hold a plate? I said, look, you don't come. You hold a plate. You're holding the inside with your hand. Where do you learn that from? You hold the edge of the plate. You're holding a glass. Don't hold the mouth. So many little things. So then when the people come and say, your people are very professional. Which company trained them? Which I put you in uniform. And I say also, don't come with your old weave on. Please. Please, can I offer you something? 
I don't want to see that. Don't come and pick your nose. Don't scratch your armpits. Don't. As soon as you see the door open, the guests are coming. You make a beeline to the sink. You all wash your hands. And then you all stand in position. You have your aprons and your everything. Hello, sir. Can I offer you anything? Don't come and pour hot water on people's back while you are bringing tea. We don't want issues. People don't just happen. You train them. Office staff don't just happen. You train them. Amen. I said, think about the person as the person is coming. I teach it in our missionary wife's class. Anticipated needs. When David was driven out by Absalom, he got to a place. And the Bible mentions a man called Basiliah. He came with beds, basins, raisins, figs. Did David send him a list? I need this, this, this. He anticipated his needs. But you, you don't anticipate anything. Then the person said, I didn't bring sugar for your tea. I forgot. I didn't bring... What is that? Anticipate the needs of the person. It's not everything. That that is help. If you want to help Dr. James, you want to help Pastor Clara, anticipate what they will need. Not that everything they have to think. That you are no help. You are a burden. You are no help. They say they've made you in charge of protocol. Everything you are calling them. Shall I do this? Shall I do that? What is the help? What is the help? Rather, call with solutions. Oh, I was thinking about giving this. Do you think it's a good protocol gift? And I thought that I will add this. And I thought that I will make the bed this way. You are even bringing more ideas. That is help. That's another topic altogether. The helps ministry. That is help. But if the person must think about everything for you, then what have you done? You have brought more work. More when they call you, it's like you are doing us a favor. They say, can you pick this person? I don't know whether it will fit on my timetable. You know, Pastor Clara, I'm going here and I'm going. That is not service. That is not sacrifice. Sacrifice is, here I am. Send me. Send me. In my church, people topple over to work in my office. They topple over because the husbands are pushing them for their sake. Go, go. Go to the reverend. Go to them. Some of them are coming for the conference from far away. They are sending me. Can you make a way for her? I said, it's full. Can you make a way for my It's full. Then my assistant here, she'll say, we can't take any more. It's so I say, if take it easy. <laughs> but why do they want people to come there? Because they say that when people serve, they add value to themselves. To themselves. You think you are, you are serving the men of God. And I tell the people, I said that in this ministry, my little world here, we are servants. We are not lords. So as you are coming to be with my team, you need a servant's heart. Because if water pours, I must be able to tell you, wipe it. But if you are the queen of Sheba, how can you wipe it? But I myself, I wipe it, not even consciously. I just feel the water has filled. Then I just, then the visitors will be saying, oh, mommy, why? Well, even this time, when I was serving, they said, oh, the bishop's wife, she's serving us rice. But, but my lighthouse people, they are used to my serving them. They would rather be saying, Mommy, that chicken, that one. Ah. But the people from outside, they are not like that. The people from outside, they feel privileged. That, but the lighthouse people say, Oh, Mommy, can, can you add this? Oh, heat, eh, let them heat it. Oh, Mommy, add dessert. But the people from outside say, How can you serve us? Bishop's wife. No, this, that. But it's a servant's heart. And do you know what? 
we get the privilege of hosting all these wonderful men of God. That people are scrambling. They are standing at the door. Mommy, can you pray for me? Benin has come. This was Mommy, can you pray for me? I, said, I don't know. I have to ask him. But as we bring our water, we bring our tea. When they finish, they say, oh, I want to pray for your people. Come. So they come. They pray for them. Sometimes they are under tables. They are, I can't find them because the anointing has knocked all of them. <laughs> but that is the privilege. When you are doing something for God, do it well. Do it well. Do it with all your heart. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all your heart, with all your might, with all your mind, and with all thy soul, and with everything that is in you. Don't serve God half-heartedly. Don't serve God by looking at a human being. Serve God, and you shall serve, and he shall bless. As a pastor's wife, as a lady pastor, as a woman in ministry, serve God. Put him first. Put yourself last and see God surprise you. Let your church be a different church because of you. Your attitude, your willingness. Isaiah 119, if thou be willing and obedient, it's not just obedience, but willingness is not there. Everything is like a favor to God. Everything is like a favor to the ministry. Everything is like, why? Why? The Bible says,